0: Welcome to the Quilt Shop Podcast, where we talk with quilt and sewing retailers from all across the country about the challenges of running their business and how they succeed. I'm your host, Spencer Wright. Hello and welcome to the Quilt Shop Podcast. I've got a really special guest with us here today. We've got Sean Roilance, the CEO and founder of Like So. How are you doing today, Sean? I was doing better. (laughs) Uh, I'm doing good. Thanks. Good. We are so grateful that you're, you know, taking the time out of your day to kind of talk with us on this, you know, the Quilt shop podcast, we typically have, you know, actual quilt shop owners on the podcast, but this is a really special episode for us to be able to hear a little bit about the origins of like, so, you know, where it's, you know, got started, why it got started, things like that. So, I just want to say huge thanks for being on with us today. I appreciate that. All right, Sean. Well, I think, you know, just to get us started, why don't you tell us, you know, a brief history of how and why you started likesa? Okay.
1: I'll try to keep it reasonably short. We'll see if I succeed in that. So this is about 15 years ago. In fact, actually, it was 2008, March. So uh, actually exactly 15 years ago. That when things kind of really got kicked off and what happened was, so my wife, she is a quilt pattern designer and she had been making quilts and designing patterns for, you know, a number of years. And she had this quilt that was hanging up on the wall in our family room. And that's why I'm looking at that one day I'm sitting there on the couch and I'm looking at it and I'm like, I think I could write a computer program that could automatically generate the full quilt pattern and quilt pattern structures, everything for that quilt right there. And my wife was like, "No way, you can't do that," because she knows what all goes into it, you know, between assembly instructions and yardage and cutting and all that kind of stuff. And so, so like, I know my wife is always right, but yeah, ditto, ditto, John. <laughs> But I just had to, I had to see, you know, could I do this? And so in, in my background is computer programming. I've been doing that for a dozen years at that point professionally. And so about eight hours later, I kind of took the day and went into my office and, and started working on it. And eight hours later, I had designs spinning out that, you know, were basically four patch you know blocks and cool patterns. Well, the designs for it. And then about a hundred hours of programming later, I had the software that was finished at that point that I calculated at one point that it could generate 11 billion unique quilt patterns of various sizes and shapes and all that kind of stuff. So we took that software and then we took her patterns that she had been designing and we'd never been to Quilt Market before, but she knew like the local quilt shop and had been talking to them. They're like, yeah, you gotta take this to Quilt Market. So it was Portland of 2008. We took all this um, to Quilt Market that spring. And at that time, my wife and I, we had been thinking about adoption. And so we thought, okay, this will be a way for us to hopefully earn some extra money because adoption is, unfortunately, is not cheap. So we had these kind of like grand plans in our heads and then we go to Portland and we set up our booth. And then it cost a few thousand dollars, you know, to get the booth space, to bring the equipment, you know, your travel, all that kind of stuff. And so we go there and we had some you know, pretty good success, met some wonderful people. We're able to find you know people who wanted to carry this software in their stores because that was back in the day when CDs were a thing and you could actually sell CDs like in your store. So we had some good success. And by the end of the show, we realized we had made about enough money to pay for the booth and the travel. And so, yeah. all right, so it was okay. But as far as like our plans, you know, that we wanted to make some money to help with an adoption did not go according to plan. While we're there, towards the end of the show, there was a guy named Dan Purcell who some people may remember. He owned a business called Websites for Quilters. Dan's a great guy. I've gotten to know him over the years. And uh, anyway, but that was my first introdu- introduction to him. He came up to our booth and he gave me like a brochure and said, hey, can I do websites for you? And me having been programming for a dozen years, most of it with web programming, I looked at it and I'm like, all right, this is cool. I think I can do something similar to this. And so on the plane ride back, I kind of sketched out a bit of a business plan And then all nights, weekends, holidays, everything for the next six months, I worked on the very first version of our e-commerce software. We went to Houston that fall of 2008, my wife and I, and there we presented the software for the first time. And we signed up our first customers. And then a couple of months later I quit my full time job and I had no idea what I was getting into, to be honest. <laughs> it was much, much harder than I think I ever realized. And I thought it would be hard, much harder than I thought. But anyway, we got the business off the ground and going. And so here we are 15 years later to the month from when I first wrote that that program and still kicking.
0: Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, just there's so much to like really think about in that story where you think about like everything that had to go right in order for you know like so to be where it is today right and i don't know that i don't know i don't talk about it very often but obviously you know like so has grown even beyond quilting and sewing you know kind of far beyond that i mostly deal with quilting and sewing but at this point sean deals with you know all kinds of different small businesses and the kind of impact that you know, going to that quote market 15 years ago has had on, you know, retailers and the employees here, you know, at Rain Retail. I think it's really far-reaching and pretty awesome to think about. So, you know, that's, it's just, thank you so much for sharing.
1: (laughs) He has to say that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Okay, Sean. So I'd like to talk about a couple of like maybe just quick questions here. So number one, I'm sure that people want to know this. I actually want to, I don't know that uh, I even know the answer to this. Where did the name Like so come from?
1: <laughs> All right. So it's kind of silly to be honest. So my wife being in the quilting and sewing space, you know, had seen a lot of businesses and different things that, that oftentimes had like a little bit of a play on words and, you know, between like material girls type, you know, that type of thing. And, yeah. and sew this and so that. And so so that's kind of like, you know, our thought process went in that direction. And so we're just sitting, she and I in the living room, just kind of like kicking around ideas. My wife's probably favorite show ever, which I admit I like too, is called Hope Floats. And okay. not familiar. <laughs> there's probably quite a few people who might listen to the podcast who'll be familiar with Hope Floats. Anyway, so towards the end of that show, Sandra Bullock and Harry Connick Jr. are in it. And there's this scene where Sandra Bullock's character is interacting with the store owner, where she works. And he keeps saying, he's giving her instructions saying, you do this like so. You do this like so. You do this like so. And, really? and so So we thought, okay, because initially what it was was quilt pattern software and pattern is instructions, so that you can follow the instructions and do, you know, take these steps like so. So that was the initial idea, kind of kind of corny. Amazing, not house. corny at all. Um, but but we liked it, and it had like that connection for her and I, and and so we did, we went with that name, and then we just kept that name throughout, and so we've never gone away from it.
0: Yeah, well, thank heavens, because now we get to tell that story. I will say, I, so I did not know that story, but very often, when I say like so in whatever context, right? Like, I don't know. When I'm like, that was uh, like so cool, <laughs> you know, like, or whatever, okay. I, always, I say it and then I'm like, like so. <laughs> Anyways, just SEW. Yes. And I mean SEW, but no okay. one ever, you know, hears it that way. Okay, Sean. Well, you know, kind of going back to quote Market, I'd love to hear, you know, I imagine there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast who have been to, quote markets for as long as you have, or maybe in a lot more, probably. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear, I don't know if maybe there's like a story from quote market that you'd like to share or anything like that. You know, I'd love to hear stories that are like, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this was so impactful or meaningful or, or however it may be. And Co quote market, such a community building place for our industry. You know, I would love to hear
1: something like that. Yeah. Okay. There's so many stories from quote market. So Quilt Market has been amazing. I've been to every single Quilt Market since 2008, since that that first one in Portland. Of course, we had a couple year break here recently, but then we were back at it again, you know, last fall in Houston. Houston, I, I just gotta say, like, like I, I love going to Houston because now I know where all the great restaurants are. Super, <laughs> super I, super I have benefited from that, no doubt, yes. So l- lots of stories and lots of really amazing people. You know, so, for example, a couple of people that I met the very, very first Cool market i went to in portland are named beth and carol and they have been great friends ever since you know rosanna is another great friend heidi is another great friend there's so many people that I just love to see you know at a quilt cool market beth and carol they owned a shop together and one of the things that they did for many years until beth recently retired and then carol went and kind of joined up with with another store but they would come by the booth and you know, once or twice, every single quilt market. Usually, they try to do this when I didn't see them, and they wouldn't know. And then they would just yell out, "Hi, Sean!" and uh, way louder than that, and try to like make me embarrassed, which they succeeded at. Um, <laughs> but anyway, just just awesome people, just you know, great relationships, and so so that's something I do love about quilt market. One story that, you know, one memory I have that that just really sticks out in my mind, and I feel like I'm I keep referring back to 2008. But this comes from the very, very first gold market we went to. So the one in Portland. The one in Portland. And so you know, like I talked about earlier, you know, my wife and I had these ideas of what we hoped to accomplish there at the trade show, and, and and as with any small business, you know, there's there's so much risk involved with a business, and you put your best foot forward, and then you're just hoping that it goes well. And sometimes it does go well, and other times it's more of a struggle, and sometimes it's it just does not go at all according to plan. And so we had been there and, you know, it's toward is, I think it's like the very last hour on the third day when things are starting to, you know, there's very few people left in the aisles other than just the people in their booths. And I was walking around a little bit and I kind of already knew at that point that we were about to break even for the show. And so so I'm wandering around and, and I walked to the end of one aisle and turned the corner to the next. And I saw this lady in her booth and she was crying. And I'm I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I, I could be wrong, but, but I'm like 95% sure that she had a rough quilt market, that it had been you know rougher than ours was. And I I kind of you know pictured in my mind again maybe I'm wrong on some of this stuff, but she probably you know put together the few thousand dollars that was needed to go and do quilt market, and so mm-hmm. so she goes there, and then if it doesn't go very well, now you are you know a few thousand dollars in the hole and a lot of times i think for so many of us at different points in our life that could be a big hit you know you call together a few thousand dollars and you're hoping to get a return on it instead it goes the other direction and someone who you know she was a designer and you know had some talent and things but it just didn't go according to you know her hopes and for me that's always really stuck with me for a variety of reasons number one is to it just helps me remember kind of you know what small business owners you know the risks they take and sometimes like how hard and how tight it can be for us in our business we went through those same you know you know kind of years and stuff where it was like really tight and and things but it really kind of helped me just cement in my mind you know what people sometimes are going through and it's really helped me you know as much as i can to be empathetic and to remember you know it's not all roses all the time for everybody and so then when we can you know, I've always wanted to try to provide you know tools and services and things that, that can hopefully help. and you know results vary, of course. And I know it's, you know we don't always succeed in that vision or that hope to really help people, but in a lot of cases we have succeeded. There are a lot of people who have really been able to kind of make use of some of the tools that, that we've put out there to really grow and develop their business further and so for me kind of seeing you know the one side of it then really motivates me to do what i'm able to to help people hopefully get to the other side of that and have that success well thanks so much for sharing that sean i think you know it
0: really helps us stay grounded when we're able to really think about you know the lives impacted you know, just from a small business perspective, you know, what it takes to be an entrepreneur. And I just, you know, I think going to shows and experiences like that, that you have, you know, being in the software world, sometimes like we're really at this like thousand feet or 10,000 feet level where we're not able to see, or I guess speaking for myself, not able to see like what's actually going on in the shops all the time. And then when you go to these shows or you go to someone's shop and you get to feel and see the emotions that they have around their business, I think there's nothing more meaningful than that. So, okay, well, we're gonna go ahead and go to break there and we'll be right back. Today's episode is sponsored by Like So. Like Sew helps quilt and sewing stores manage all the pieces of their business. It's great for managing fractional yards and pre-cuts, tracking inventory in store and online, and creating classes and events that live right on your website. LikeSo also has built-in tools for communicating with customers so you can keep them in the loop and coming back to your store. The LikeSo system integrates with some of the biggest names in the industry, like Moda, Checker, Michael Miller, and more to make your processes seamless and incredibly easy. LikeSo does all this and more. For listeners of this podcast, LikeSo is offering 50% off your startup costs. Click the link in the description to schedule a demo and redeem this offer. And now back to the show. All right, Sean. So I think as we kind of heard the origin story, one thing that I'm sure our listeners are really curious about, you were talking about, you know, like so as an e-commerce kind of feature or function. Tell us a little bit about when and why the transition to kind of point of sale and inventory management happened.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that really kind of happened for the most part in 2011 and 2012. So we had kind of gotten up and running and had a lot of you know people using our e- e-commerce services. And at that point in time, you know, it seems a lot more intuitive now, but this is over a decade ago. And at that point in time, for brick and mortar stores not very many of them really got their products onto their website with current inventory levels and current pricing and all that kind of stuff and were able to keep it up to date. So like a lot of people would like sign up with us and we go through some work and help get their products up on their website, pictures and pricing and all that kind of stuff. And then like a month would go by. And of course things are selling out of the shop, shipments come in, all that kind of stuff. And what we tried to do at that point was we like made it so that you can export a spreadsheet from your current inventory management system and upload it to the website. And then that would update quantities and pricing and whatever. But what we found was that's just it just took like a little bit too much effort. And with the new products that you receive, you still got to go out and find the pictures for them and, and so on. And so it just became cumbersome enough that the majority of our you know, people that, that had websites with us, they weren't able to successfully keep on top of that over time. With that said, there were some stores that could, whether they invested in some extra manpower or could set aside, you know, the sufficient time or whatever. And what we saw with those stores was that their sales really took a noticeable, you know, step forward. Now, it's not necessarily always sales online. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it was just general sales, you know, between the store and the website. They took a step forward. And it was really kind of at at that time where consumers were really changing consumer behaviors began to evolve to where a lot of consumers, they began to use the website as part of their shopping process. So if they knew, hey, this store that I frequent, they have a website and the information is, you know, generally up to date and that kind of stuff. Sometimes they'll just go there and buy. Other times they're going there to see, well, what's new? And maybe to browse, it's nine o'clock at night and the store's closed. They could start looking and seeing, okay, hey, they got some cool new fabrics, they got a kid in, you know, whatever it is. And they start to, to put together their plans and on occasion check out right then at nine o'clock at night. But to be honest, more often than not, where the behavior was going was, it would be the next day or that weekend or something where they then come into the store and make the purchase but we could see direct correlations between you know having a well maintained website and then an overall increase in revenue for different stores and to be clear i, I want to take nothing away whatsoever from the store owners as the store owners doing the work to keep this up to date it's the store owners that have the vision and they're buying the right fabrics and all that kind of stuff what we saw was stores that had like a kind of a steady growth rate then took a clear step from where they were so we saw that and we tried to encourage people say hey really it's important to do this but then we saw that in so many cases that just wasn't feasible So we looked at integrating with some point of sale systems to see, you know, could we make it so that we could just really automate that and make that a lot easier. The problem with like legacy at that time, there were no like cloud-based point of sale systems and things like that. And so the legacy point of sale systems There were a variety of issues that came up with that, not the least of which they're completely different technology sets. The connectivity was unreliable and the ability to get a single piece of software installed, talking to some service in the cloud and to have two way communication as needed in a way that you can count on just in the end was very challenging and didn't really work with the companies that we approached at least. So that's when we first kind of had the idea. We're like, we think we can create a point of sale system and do it in the cloud. And so we began down that path. What we discovered, well, in hindsight, I should say, (laughs) what I've since discovered is there was so much to this, so much more than we realized. What our thought was is we would target people who are just on pen and paper, and we build just kind of like this minimal offering. And then it would at least be an improvement over pen and paper. Sure. And what we found, though, was there's a whole lot of people who are on existing point of sale systems that they completely saw, you know, the value proposition. They completely saw and understood that, hey, having my website and my point of sale system completely in sync at all times where I can sell stuff in the store and immediately reflects you know, the changes on, online. I can receive a shipment and immediately it's reflected online and so on. They could see the power in that. And so we had all these people you know, jumping in right away coming from other point of sale systems. And, and should I apologize now to the people who experienced the pain at that <laughs> point? I mean, we still have points of pain and anyway, we do the best we can. But anyway, so they saw that. And our very first version that we released, we didn't even have reports. There were no reports at all. Because again, the bar we set for ourselves was, can it at least improve on pen and paper? So we then were in scramble mode, and t- to this day, we're in scramble mode. Different kind of <laughs> D- scramble different, mode. Different kind of scramble mode. We've come a long, long ways from that point, yeah, for sure. But the other thing that we saw and that we realized was that technology as a whole was shifting. It was shifting to the cloud and legacy systems. While there's still plenty of legacy systems that run you know, well to this day, still we could see where things were going. And so we decided to go all in on that and, you know, again, not that we haven't had our, our rough patches and so on, but on the whole, it's been a really, you know, a really great thing. I feel like in terms of kind of the concepts and the ideas we've been able to bring and, you know, for many people that they've been able to like really utilize the tools we built with great success, bringing that all together and making it where you can run your whole operation, one system and be able to reach people in your store online you know, at trade shows, look at your reports from home and so on. It's been a real difference maker.
0: Yeah, no doubt has it been a real difference maker, Sean. I'm sure that there are hundreds and hundreds of shops that would be able to, you know, kind of back that claim up, you know, probably, you know, more than 10 years since kind of the point of sale has been developed and stuff like that. You know, Sean, something I was thinking was, it's rare that, people know about the history of some software that they use, right? Like, that's not really a common thing. Like when you use a software, you use an app on your phone or whatever it is, it's probably not very often that you're thinking to yourself, who's the guy or gal that started this, right? And so I was thinking about that as we, you know, wanted to record this podcast with you. But I think that, you know, the LIXO system is more than just like a piece of software that people use, right? It's like something that, I mean, A, it gets used, a lot, right? Like, if you are a quilter or fabric shop owner, you use like so a lot, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like all the time for hours and hours, hundreds of hours, I'm sure, for a lot of our users, thousands of hours. And I think knowing the where and the why becomes a little bit more meaningful. And so that's why I really wanted to kind of dig in on this with you. I'm sure that there are brand new quote shops. I know there are brand new quote shops who listen to this, who maybe won't understand all of the history, but will be able to sense a little bit of, you know, what it means the product and, you know, like, so as a whole, what it means to us and what it means to you. I wanted to say, thank you for that.
1: Yeah. I appreciate that.
0: All right, Sean this is kind of my final question for this, you know, segment about, you know, the origin story of like, so I'm sure You know, So many of the people who listen to this, almost everyone who listens to this, is an entrepreneur, right? And that's really what you started out as, right? That's what you are. And so as an entrepreneur, I think it's fun to kind of ask questions. And one of the things I really wanted to ask was, how much of your success or the success of Like So, and the products that have come after it, do you think are luck
1: versus how much of it was skill? (laughs) It's a loaded question. It is absolutely a loaded question. So skill, I don't, I don't know about skill so much. I mean, skill and hard work, right? Like sure, effort. sure. Yeah. Certainly there was some skill involved. You know, I did a computer science degree in college. I actually started programming when I was 12. So fun fact, my very first computer that I began programming on was a Commodore VIC-20 back in 1985 when I was about 12 years old that had 4K of memory. And about the only thing oh you could gosh. do on a Commodore VIC-20 was, like, program because it was too meager of a computer to do much else. But anyway, so I did programming growing up, did that as a you know major at the university, and then I did 12 years as a professional software developer. And so, so yes, developed the skills needed for this. Part of that, too, like I learned about... You know, how to work in teams and and for the most part, I heard I learned how not to be managed. Um, <laughs> and uh, I feel like I learned a lot of like how impersonal like businesses can be sometimes and how much I didn't like that. Sure. So then from day one, we've tried to actually be very different in that regard here. So, so there's experience. There's some skill for sure luck absolutely being in the right place at the right time you know a lot of people in the sewing industry have you know at one time or another perhaps met myself and either one of my two business partners brian king and milo LeBaron. and this is something where yeah we brought a ton of hard work to it you know and our experience and so on you know we were doing just crazy hours to begin with you know i would start programming about five in the morning i would stop programming after 10 at night and with very little break in between and i did that for years on end to get things off the ground at, at the beginning. And so so a lot of effort, but like one of the things that we didn't know was I would say how perfectly complimentary me and Brian and Milo were in terms of our skills. Like, like I, I knew I liked these guys. I'd worked with them for a couple of years. I knew Brian was amazing at sales. Milo I thought was good at sales. Turns out he's OCD. And it turns out that he was great at making sure the whole rest of the business ran while Brian sold, I programmed and he did everything else. And then even halfway through, Milo and I kind of swapped roles because as the company grew, it evolved and changed. The needs were different. And somehow our abilities just like perfectly complemented each other again, even though we literally per- pretty much swapped roles. So, so much of that is luck as well. Or, you know, I think of it as we're just very blessed that things kind of came together and worked out the way they did. And I would say that from like a perspective of why did I do this? And, you know, what does it meant to me? For some reason for me, like being an entrepreneur and starting a business, it was just kind of in me it's almost like i couldn't not do it. i had to do something at some point. it's just part of my life journey, like like the life experience that in a lot of ways i feel like i was destined to live for which i'm very grateful because i really have enjoyed it. as hard as it has been at different times and it's been ridiculously hard at different moments or different, you know, periods of time, but looking back on it i just fully have loved the experience and the journey of it and what it's been for me in my life. Another thing, though, I feel very fortunate and blessed about is that, you know, to a certain degree, we've certainly had some success. And that I feel like, you know, I owe so much to to so many people, both inside the company and out to so many wonderful clients that have been patient with us at times, have not been patient with us at other times when we probably needed it, that that have like, you know, provided feedback that have helped steered things, you know, over time and so on. So anyway, so I guess I guess bottom line is, at least in my case, I think there's all kinds of different cases out there. In my case, yeah, it was in me. Yeah, we had brought skills. We brought a lot of hard work, but I also feel like the kind of our path was prepared for us as well. And we feel very fortunate at this point.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, as we as, you know, I kind of look at it from an outsider perspective, right? I haven't been with like, so for 15 years, I think, you know, the hard work is really seen and maybe with, you know, a sprinkle of luck in there to get it to where it is today.
1: (laughs) A sprinkler too, or a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Some lucky charms. Well, Sean, I just want to say a huge thank you for coming on the podcast with us today. You know, just as, you know, kind of by way of communication, this was the origin story segment. We did send out an email and got a lot of questions back for things that we're going to ask Sean on the next segment. So make sure you tune in for the next episode we'll release in a couple of weeks, where we'll probably talk a little bit more about the nitty gritty, right? The software, you know, some things coming up, you know, just more a A session instead of kind of the origin story that we shared here so make sure you tune into that and again thank you so much for being on with us today sean my pleasure thank you for listening to the quilt shop be sure to subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify youtube or wherever you get your podcasts leave a rating or review to let us know what you think For more interviews with business owners, visit likeso.com slash interviews, where you'll find transcripts, show notes, and videos for all our episodes.